One of my heroes is Bruce Lee. He has a famous quote that I love. Absorb what is useful, discard what is not, and add what is uniquely your own. At its core, that's what we should be doing with health and fitness. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hi everyone, you're on air with Ella and today I am joined by Dr. Jade Tita. He is co-founder of Metabolic Effect, a program, a book, a revolution that I think I've talked about on, I don't know, somewhere around 80% of the shows that we've done so far. Hey, Dr. Jade, welcome to Ella. Hey, Ella, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. I was tempted to go in and read your bio, Dr. Jade, and tell everybody that, first of all, of course, you're an author. You co-wrote with your brother, the ME Diet, founded Metabolic Effect, but you're also a medically trained naturopath physician. Yeah. (laughs) And the list goes on. So what I'm going to do, Dr. Jade, is I'm going to have you tell everybody kind of who you are and what your story is. Yeah, you know, the best way to think of me is take your, take your average uh, personal trainer who's been in the trenches for 25 years and um, who has a voracious appetite for learning about mindset, self-development, natural health, and who went to get a degree in integrative medicine. Combine all of that, the love of psychology, the love of personal training, the interest in nutrition, and then an integrative medical degree, and you kind of have uh, sort of who I am. But sort of at my core, I'm just like everybody listening. I'm just someone who's very passionate about health and fitness, and I'm a teacher at heart. And so um, I started a consulting practice and became an author because I love to teach my passion. And so that's me in a nutshell. Well, and you have a new book, and your new book launches when? When can everybody grab a copy of Lose Weight Here? That's very sweet of you to mention that. It's uh, November, or I'm sorry, November. It's April 14th. Yeah, and by the time this airs, it's going to be right smack around that date. So I'm excited to talk to you about that, too. And I only have 75 other topics to talk to you about before we talk about that. (laughs) So we're going to be in great shape here. All right, I'm down. I'm ready. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. So one of the things that I was confessing to you, Jade, before we started, uh, before we hit record today, I have a show that's about fitness, nutrition, and mindset. And to be totally honest with you, I think that not, that mindset is 98% of that game. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I agree. I agree 100%. And Jay, what I've done though is I've skipped over the part really for my audience to share with them the fundaments of how we should be thinking about nutrition and fitness. And so enter Dr. Jade Tita. I just decided I'll go to the I'll go to the source, the guy who literally wrote the book. I want to share today the way that you think about and approach and coach people to think about nutrition and fitness. So could you break down sort of the fundamentals of metabolic effect and what's behind your entire philosophy. No big deal. Right, right. (laughs) No, absolutely. I would love to do that. I mean, here's the thing that uh, everyone listening needs to understand. We have a very wrong idea about health and fitness and nutrition and all of those things. We have this idea that there's something out there, this perfect plan that exists. And all we need to do is find the right guru, the right book, the right website, the right blog, find that perfect diet, read it, take in that information, and then follow it like a recipe. And that is exactly wrong. That's exactly the wrong approach because you don't find a diet. You create the diet. You create the regime. You create the lifestyle that you can love, live with, and own. It's not about finding a health and fitness regime. It's about creating one. And so what we need to understand, here's the key point. We each are uniquely different metabolically, psychologically, and we are very different in our personal preferences. And we have to take that into account. If you do not take that into account, you will be doing what 99% of people do, which is bounce around from program to program, from blog to blog, from article to article, from book to book, and having short-term success followed by long-term backsliding. 
that is what the game that people are playing, and they have to stop playing that game. So what game do I want you to play? Instead of being a dieter, you really should be thinking about this as being a detective or a discoverer. One of my heroes is Bruce Lee. He has a famous um, quote that I love. Absorb what is useful, discard what is not, and add what is uniquely your own. At its core, that's what we should be doing with health and fitness. I love it. I think that that is such a complete paradigm shift for so many people. And I'll tell you something that I experience when I hear that. I know in my core it's true and it scares me because I'm like, oh, you mean the burden's on me? <laughs> Isn't that true? That's exactly right. Because our, our, we are funny creatures, us humans. What we do is we crave certainty. We want certainty so bad. We love black and white. We don't like gray. But that is what health and fitness is. It's all in the gray zone. And so here's the thing to understand. There are guidelines. There are blueprints. There are general insights that we can all gather and learn from. You create these guidelines. You start from a place. And this could be any place, by the way. It doesn't have to be with my work. It could be with anybody who you like. It could be in the vegetarian community. It could be in the paleo community. It could be Atkins. It could be wherever you start. But the point is, is once you start, you have to understand that you are now on a journey. It's not black and white. What you want to understand is if you're going to be a detective, right, or a discoverer instead of a dieter, what that involves is the ability to gather clues, the ability to look at things a little bit more differently, the ability to say, oh, isn't that interesting? I ate X, Y, or Z for breakfast, and it had X, Y, Z effect at lunch and or dinner. Or I had this, or I did this type of workout, and it caused me to overeat or undereat or do certain things later. So we have this very wrong idea that what you eat for breakfast has nothing to do what you will crave to eat or how much you eat for lunch, or what kind of exercise you do is separate from what you eat. And the truth is all these things are impacting you. Hey, if I didn't get good sleep last night, guess what that's going to do to my hunger and my energy and my cravings? And isn't that going to impact what I choose to eat, whether I'm motivated to exercise or not? So this is the game that you begin to play and the game you have to play. So once you start, you start gathering information and you start moving along this pathway to mastery. So let's break this down for somebody who looks a lot like our listener. So our listener has, in many, many cases, they have a full-time job or they have full-time responsibilities, however they define them. They typically have family responsibilities and they don't know where to start. They're like, I get it and I intellectually accept that what you're saying is true, but where do I start? I don't have time to be a detective. How do you deal with that? Because I know you must run across that regularly in, in your own practice. Well, the bottom line is this. I mean, <clears throat> there, is, uh, there is no way of getting around that whenever you want to make a change, like if you want to learn a new language, if you want to learn to play the guitar or the piano, there's no way of getting around spending time in that domain. In other words, um, what I would say is just be like this. Bottom line is if you really want change, you're going to have to make the time to do things. So there is there is no such thing as no time, by the way, in my way of looking at it. There is no such thing. There is just such thing as it's not either my priority or it's not my priority. And I don't judge. I mean, I love this stuff. I live it. I make it my priority. But I certainly don't judge if it can't be someone else's priority. But I imagine that everyone listening here has realized the importance of health and how that if you lose your health, if you are not vital environment, if you don't have good energy, if you're controlled by food, if you're ruled by your life, things get pretty shitty pretty quickly, right? I mean, ultimately, you don't feel very good about you know, life, and you're not feeling very vital as you go through life. So you can't make the excuse any longer that I don't have time. You have to make this a priority. Now, that being the case, it doesn't have to and shouldn't actually take all of your time. One big, huge issue in my mind, in the diet and exercise world, is that people act as if you have to completely revamp your lifestyle to something new. And you do not have to do that. In fact, what you want to begin to do is you want to be able to fit the pieces of information that you're gathering from someone like me or someone like Ella or some of the books you're reading and fit those pieces into your life slowly but surely. 
Again, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, add what is uniquely your own. So let me give you an example of what this might look like for a busy mother or father who's got, you know, sort of um, the whole world sort of crashing down on them. You wake up, you're kind of thinking, hey, I need to make a change. And you've read some information perhaps about how adding some extra vegetables or maybe a little bit of protein can be something that might be helpful for your weight loss. And so you simply begin to do the following. You might say to, to yourself, well, you know what? Right now, I don't eat breakfast. I have a cup of coffee and um, I typically do a lunch and I do a dinner. Well, what I would say is, well, you're not currently eating breakfast. Don't try to change that. That's a big, big habit, right, to change. Now let's focus on what you're doing for lunch and dinner. All right, instead of having the sandwich at Subway, maybe remove the bread and start working on that, understanding, hey, I'm at Subway. Give me extra lettuce, pickle, peppers, all those vegetables. I'll stick with the meat but I'm going to take off the bread or half of the bread. That immediately elevates the vegetables and the meat that you're eating. You're not changing the fact that you're not adding a meal. You're not doing breakfast. You're not changing where you're going to eat, right? And then at dinner, let's say that, you know, at dinner you typically do what? I don't know. Maybe you typically will eat out pizza for the kids or you go grab a burger for the kids. Frequently you're doing that kind of stuff. But in addition to that, as you call in, as you're driving home at 5.30 and you're calling a place to order a pizza, you also tell them, hey, can you throw a Greek salad in with that order too and add chicken on top of it? Now what happens is you go home, you have the Greek salad, right? And if you need a couple slices of pizza, fine. Eat that after the fact. Then what do you do? Then you wait and see how you feel a few days. Is this making a difference? Is your energy better? Is your hunger more under control? Are your cravings uh, doing well? How, how is this fitting into your lifestyle? And then you adjust. But understand that's a very different process than picking up a book and saying, I have to eat X, Y, and Z. I can no longer have gluten. I have to do this and that. I can never have this again. I got to work every single day. I got to walk two hours every day. I mean, all of a sudden, no wonder people are overwhelmed. So the idea is, is to take the information absorb what is useful, discard what is not, add what is uniquely your own, and begin the process. Maybe after two weeks of this, you're getting the hang of it, right? You're starting to incorporate more vegetables and protein, and you've lost some weight without even trying, and you're feeling pretty good about it, and you're also still enjoying on occasion some of the foods you love, right? Now, all of a sudden, spring is coming around, so maybe you say, you know what? I heard Ella before talk about walking. I've heard Jade talk about walking. I've read that walking might be good for me. I'm going to start walking, right? I'm going to start doing that. That's how it works. Now, one point I'll say about this, because some people listening to us, psychologically speaking, like to immerse themselves fully in something different. And for those types, fine. If you are the type who wants to completely revamp your life, then try it. But I would say this, the people who are not doing that overhaul in their lifestyle typically are the ones that are more successful over the long run. They're taking these little steps one by one. It's about creating a lifestyle that works for you and not trying to do it all at once. So hopefully that's starting to give people a very tangible way to look at this in a way that will work for them. I think that is invaluable for several reasons. One quote that I share all the time and will not apologize for sharing it again is Arthur Ashe's quote, which you've heard before, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And I don't live that very well a lot of the time. I would be in the camp that is throw everything out, including the baby and the bathwater. I am starting this today. Like that's yep, definitely yep. my personality. But most people who maybe are a little bit more well-adjusted than I am, um, you know, they need they need to make a small decision every single day at, that adds up to your whole life, doesn't it? But at the end of the day, we make it so overwhelming, don't we? We make it sound so huge and like, you know, no wonder it collapses in on us. So I love what you're saying. And I find it totally ironic because guys, if you could see Jade and you cannot, but you can go Google him immediately. He is sick fit. Okay. He's not eating a whole lot of pizza. <laughs> I just want to be really clear, <laughs> but you're living in reality. I love that. And all of your work and all of your books, a spouse, you know, starting where you are, using what you have to make a lifestyle instead of 
you know, this month's crazy fad diet. And yeah, and you know, and by the way, Ella, here's the thing I think people should know. I am, I'm an, I'm an Italian, right? I love food. I, mean, my, I grew up with people who, you know, that's what we do. We socialize and we eat. So I do eat pizza. I do drink wine. I do all of these things. Um, and sometimes I do them, you know, to excess, like all of us humans do. But I've learned over time that uh, how to incorporate that stuff in a way that keeps me satisfied and doesn't in negatively impact my health um, to the extent that it would otherwise. And so that's perfectly uh, within people's uh, abilities to incorporate these things. This black and white thinking, the dieting world wants you to think black and white. And we humans love that, right? Because we like this oh, yeah, it's all this way. It's all or nothing. All or nothing usually leads to nothing. So we need to start rethinking that paradigm. So long as whatever approach you take, so long as you are learning and gathering clues and feedback from your body, that's what we want. So there's many ways to do this, but the one common denominator is find what works for you, create what works for you. The finding part is the hard part. It's the part that confuses everyone. So I do want to talk about that a little bit because we do need some guidelines, right? And so I'm going to give you three really quickly for everyone just as a big overview in terms of, okay, Jade, you might be getting this concept, but where do I start? Give me some structure first because I need it. Here's essentially where you start. There are three ways to know if a program, a diet, an approach are working for you. The first way to know is how your body feels and the signals it's sending to you. The body sends many different signals, but the ones that may be most important day to day are hunger, energy, and cravings. H-E-C is the acronym, right? Hunger, energy, cravings. And it spells a cute little word, heck. So if your heck is in check, if your hunger, energy, and cravings are stable and predictable and you're not being ruled by them, right? Hunger is relatively low and controllable. Energy is stable and predictable. And cravings are not controlling you. You're not craving Ben and Jerry's every night. Then that's one key indication that the lifestyle, the way you're eating, the way you're moving, and the sleep and stress that you're under is manageable and your metabolism is balanced and functioning appropriately. And so that's the first thing. Is your heck in check? If your heck is in check, then that's an indication that whatever you are doing, I don't care if it's eating jelly beans every five minutes, that's an indication that that is working for you on that level. But that's not all that's required because the, there's two other things that are required. Are you changing your weight loss, your body composition, your shape change, is it improving in the direction that you want? In other words, we know that excess weight is a health hazard. Is your body changing in the appropriate direction? Are you losing weight and or changing body composition? That's important because many people may not lose weight, but they might see that their genes are fitting differently or their waist is shrinking or their body's tightening up. And that's really what we want. And then the third thing is when you go to the doctor and you get your blood labs done and you take a look at your cholesterol and your fasting blood sugars and all those health markers, are they improving in a direction that is healthy for you? If they are, then you are and have found and created a lifestyle that works for you. If heck is in check, your body composition is changing favorably, your blood labs are improving, you know now that this is what's working for you. So how do you start that, right? Those are the three things that you constantly have to have feedback and guidance on. What I would suggest you do is one thing and one thing only. And let me slow down here because this is going to, um, I want to make sure everyone understands why I'm giving you this advice to start. When you are thinking about health and fitness and weight loss, Nutrition is probably the single most important piece of the puzzle. And the reason why, for no other reason, is probably just because we interact with food more times during the day than anything else. And so each time you interact with food, you have the, the, the um, ability to send signals to your body that say, hey, be in good health or not. Hey, burn fat or don't burn fat. 
hey, decrease my stress from food or increase my stress from food. Hey, increase inflammation or decrease inflammation. So the first thing you want to do is focus on nutrition. And when it comes to nutrition, what you want to do is you want to eat in a way that maximizes satiation, meaning decreases hunger and decreases cravings with the least amount of calories possible. And we know through research and we know through clinical experience what those foods tend to be. Those foods tend to be what I call PFW, protein, fiber, and water-based foods, PFW. And so the very first step you wanna make in this process of finding what works for you is look and see, am I eating and incorporating PFW? Protein, fiber, water. Protein, fiber, water. What would these foods be? These would be foods like eggs and chicken breasts and lean fish and fatty fish like salmon and steak and pork. And if you're a vegetarian, it's going to be stuff like um, uh, cheeses, um, you know, um, things like uh, full, you know, full fat yogurt, things like that, nuts and seeds, um, these whole foods that are very satiating. But you want to be careful, right? Because some of these foods can ramp up your calorie intake. So we want protein, fiber, and water. I just named all the protein foods. What about fiber foods? These are going to be things like vegetables primarily, very rich in fiber, lots of water, not a whole lot of starch and sugar. Fruits as well, especially the non-sweet fruits like berries, apples, and pears. So all of a sudden, right, I bet you if I looked at my diet, I'd go back and be like, wow, I'm probably not getting the PFW as much as I need to, protein, fiber, and water. A typical, really good day to start with for somebody who is wanting to get started with this. I would say the following, and I'll give you both convenience options, and I will give you uh, also, you know, sort of the, the home-cooked whole foods option. Let's start with the whole foods option first. Breakfast, right? Eggs. Maybe some Canadian bacon, which is a lean type of meat. A side of blueberries and strawberries, right? Maybe one piece of whole grain you know, a uh, high fiber toast, right? You got protein there. You got fiber in the fruits. You got enough sugar, but not too much, okay? What if you're a convenience option, right? Well, I could say the number one habit you could break is getting away from cereals. Why? Because cereals are very high in starch and sugar, very low in fiber comparatively, very low in water. Cereal is very dry and very low in protein. So yes, yeah, cereal might seem like a good option for you until you realize that to feel satiated with cereal, you need five, six, seven, eight cups of it. To feel satiated with eggs, you need two, right? To feel satiated with fruit, you know, two apples, one apple, you know, that two apples is gonna stuff you, right? And so understand this process. What would you do instead of cereal? Because you might say, hey, Jay, I need cereal. Um, I gotta get quick, it's for the kids, I, I need to, you know, get out of the house quickly. Well, a protein-based smoothie is every bit as quick and will satisfy you more and has much less calories, right? And so substituting out cereals for protein-based smoothies, that's going to satisfy you, right? What about for lunch? Well, convenience option, if you wanted to, bring, bring leftovers in Tupperware from what you had before. Maybe you had broccoli and sweet potato and salmon the night before, then bring that in a Tupperware. Or if you end up at Subway or Five Guys or Chipotle or wherever you go, think protein, fiber, water. Hey, we're at, let's say we're at Chipotle, right? You go up to the bar, you tell them, hey, I want a burrito bowl. Can you skip, uh, go light on the rice and beans, very light on the rice and beans. Give me extra chicken, give me extra fajita vegetables, throw some extra salsa on there, right? Protein, fiber, water, right? If I'm at Subway, Extra vegetables, extra meat, strip off some or all of the bread, protein, fiber, water, right? If I'm at a Chinese place, right, protein, fiber, water, go light on the rice, extra green beans and chicken, and um, extra broccoli, right? So a broccoli, a vegetable, chicken stir fry. So this doesn't have to be where you got to sit home and cook all your meals. Matter of fact, I eat most of my meals out, right? What about for dinner? For dinner? This might be the one that you want to cook, right? So this is where you're going to do a meat, 
two vegetables and a little bit of starch. By the way, and I know I'm talking a lot, but I, want, I know you said you wanted a, a lot of education. Let me give you guys a really good way to think about how to put your meals together. Um, here in North Carolina, there is a place called Golden Corral, right? And the place is called, uh, what's the other one? Um, anyway, these cafeteria-type all-you-can-eat places. Let me tell you what um, most people do. They go to these places, and they're not thinking P at PFW. They're not thinking protein, fiber, water. They're thinking SF, starch and fat. And so what they do is they put rice on top of beans, on top of uh, pasta, on top of yeast rolls. And then next to all that rice, that pasta, those beans, those yeast rolls, they put a big piece of fatty meat, right? And then wedged between all that white starchy food and that big piece of fatty meat, you might find two green beans. That is a fat-storing atomic bomb of food and it's more likely to make you crave Ben and Jerry's when you get home after eating that 3,000 calories. So instead, what you want to do is you want to think broccoli on top of green beans, on top of salad greens, on top of cauliflower, a big piece of lean quality protein, and then wedged between all that green stuff and all of that good quality protein is a little sliver of white food enough to keep you satisfied and keep you burning fat and you practice that, right? That is the opposite of what most people do. This is how you start. I just gave you the structure. Now it's up to you to be flexible and adjust and take what I've given you and do what Bruce Lee says, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, add what is uniquely your own. That's how you do this. Outstanding. Everybody's going to need to go back and listen to that piece twice because there is such wisdom there, but you've kept it simple. So I love it. There are two questions. I can feel people raising their hands. So help me with these two. The first one is, we were told that fat is bad and you need to eat everything low fat. So, and you're saying go for lean, go for lean cuts of meat, so on and so forth. So help us out, Jade. Fat, good or bad? Both. Now, here's the way to think about this. We are all uniquely different, right? And so when it comes to starch slash sugar, and to me, it's the same thing. A yeast roll is both sugar and starch, same thing, okay? So when it comes to fat and sugar and starch, the idea is eat to your tolerance level. So we, we remember in the 80s, right? I remember the 80s. Fat was like the devil. Low fat everything, right? We had snack wells and this and snack that. Snack well then, cookies. <laughs> snack wells cookies. Used to love those. So everyone remembers that. 80s, right? It was, oh my God, fat will kill you. Then 90s, 2000s, it's, oh my God, starch will kill you. And now it's all kinds of other things. The bottom line is this. We each have a unique tolerance for high fat foods and or high starch foods. By the way, we need both. You need both to feel satisfied. But the point is, is that if you think about your meals like this, there's protein, fiber, water, which you can pretty much eat unlimited. However, that protein, fiber, water doesn't give you the satisfaction that starch and fat will in your meals. So you need some of that satisfaction, right? So protein, fiber, water fill you up, help you with hunger. But what's going to help you with managing cravings? Think of Goldilocks. Not too much. Not too little, but just right. And so you need enough starch and fat. And this is where things get really confusing and where people hate my guts when I say you must spend time finding your unique tolerance for starch and fat. Now, here's what I say for most people who, want, who are looking for weight loss. It's probably better to add fat first and see how you do with it. Next add the starch in. So here's how I would do this. Let's take that meal that we just talked about. You had eggs and you had some blueberries and you had one piece of high fiber toast in the morning, right? Now you're going along and, and for you know uh, lunch, you've been going to Chipotle and getting a burrito bowl without the rice and beans. And for dinner, you're doing two vegetables, a little bit of brown rice and uh, you know a piece of meat. And you're kind of thinking after a few days, you're like, you know what? I'm feeling okay, but um, my hunger's in check. And my energy feels good, but Jade, my cravings aren't in check. So that means heck is not in check, right? Because cravings are out. So now you have to say, well, what is it? One of the things you could think is several things. Obviously, one of the tricky things about this is think about this. People who eat no starch and fat, what do they crave? Starch and fat. And people who are eating a ton of starch and fat, what do they crave? Starch and fat, right? We all know people like this. And so it's this 
balance that we need to find the middle ground of this. So now you might say, you know what? I'm having that breakfast meal and I'm kind of feeling like that's the part. 10, 10 a.m. after breakfast, I had breakfast at 7, 10 a.m. craving like a donut or something. What should I do? Well, that's when you say, okay, first what I'm going to do is I'm going to increase the fat at breakfast. So I'm going to take that same breakfast, maybe take away the toast and add in some bacon or add in some coconut oil or add in um, some avocado, slices of avocado with tomato along with your eggs, right? And see how that impacts you. So the next day you might notice, wow, that's interesting. My cravings are worse for the donut now. So now you might think, you know what? I'm going to take out that fat and I'm going to add in um, another piece of toast or a bowl of oatmeal along with that. And then you wait a day and the next day you feel good. All of a sudden you feel like, oh my God, I'm not craving that donut. Now for one person, for you, Ella, the adding the avocado may have solved it for you, right? But for me, maybe I need the oatmeal and that solves it for me. And we have to make room for these differences. The idea that everybody is going to go on a you know, is going to eat eggs with avocado and bacon every morning and have optimal health and the sun will come out and shine on us and everything's going to be great is a ridiculous notion. Some people will do better on waking up in the morning and having oatmeal with a little bit of pecans on it and a little bit of cinnamon and they'll do better. And you have to understand the importance of these differences in our metabolism. And then you begin to experiment with different levels of fat and starch slash sugar until heck gets in check. Once you have heck in check, then you can start looking at, am I also losing weight and are my blood labs and um, health parameters fixing themselves? Okay. Second question for clarification, Jade. Calories. You know, we have Jonathan Baylor on and his book is called The Calorie Myth, which implies not that they don't exist, but that they're not important. Then you have other people that says, count them, measure every meal, and that is how fat loss works. Calories. What's the real story? In my opinion, both of them are wrong and both of them are very wrong because here's the bottom line. To say calories don't matter is irresponsible. Calories absolutely matter. But to say they are all that matters is 100% wrong as well. So here's the deal. I'll break this down for you. Here's, here's what uh, all the experts have been telling us. They have been telling us that to lose weight, you just cut calories. Eat less, exercise more. As a result of that, you're going to lose weight. And as a result of that, you'll have a balanced metabolism. Now, we know that's not true, right? Because guess what happens when you eat less and exercise more for a long period of time? Do you feel balanced in your metabolism? Absolutely not. When you're craving donuts and having dreams about, you know, Skittles falling from the sky, that's not a balanced metabolism. So the way it really works is this. First, you balance your metabolism. Then as a result of that, you start being able to regulate calories in a natural way. They start to be able to regulate. Willpower comes out of the equation to some degree, and I'll explain for some people why they may want to um, tweak this a little bit. But then as a result of that, you lose weight. So again, two different models. One, eat less, exercise more, lose weight, and you should have a balanced metabolism. Wrong, we know that's not true. No matter what anyone says, everyone knows that is not true. Second is, first balance your metabolism, as a result, you will naturally have an easier time eating less and being motivated to move more. And as a result of that, you're going to be more likely to lose weight and keep it off. Now, here's the interesting thing. There are some people, psychologically speaking, they have developed bad habits around food where they just eat, 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 eat all the time. For those types, calories may be important, but you don't lead with calories because that causes an unbalanced metabolism. What you do is you increase protein, fiber, and water first. You tweak your fat and you tweak your starch intake a little bit. You see how close you can get your heck in check, and most people will. And then, then you look back and say, oh, by the way, now that my heck is in check, how many calories am I eating? That's a very different way of doing things. So you use calories to back check your approach. It's another tool. It's another clue. It's another piece of information for you, but it's not leading the charge. So it's a difference between leading with calories or following up with calories and saying, oh, by the way, my heck is in check, Jay, but I'm still not losing weight. Maybe at that point, if you're one of these people who many of us are, maybe about a third of the people I work with are just sort of unconscious eaters, right? So we just, we eat, we can eat all the health food we want, but then we eat the junk food too. 
or vice versa, then you may need to look at calories. But I can tell you this, most people first need to start with balancing the metabolism. That's a brand new idea for them. When they do that, almost most people I work with, I would say two-thirds of people I work with, when they do that, all of a sudden, a whole different idea around this thing happens. They start actually feeling better when they're on a good eating regime than worse. Isn't that funny, right? Like, the, it's funny. Why, why would you go on a diet, eat less exercise more, and feel like crap? That's why you can't stay on the diet. So first, get yourself feeling good, then look to deal with things like calories. So yes, calories matter, but they are not the most important thing for most people. I think that this is really, really critical. And I'm going to refer back to Baylor one more time. I know you and Jonathan do a lot of stuff together. And I just had him on the show, and I don't want our listeners to be confused. So I'm going to marry up, and then you tell me where I'm going wrong with this. And I'm going to use myself as an example. Why you helped me personally so much when I read the new Emmy Diet, because I believe you put out another iteration of that, is you put this focus on nutrient density and on foods that have protein, water, and fiber. And instead of focusing on deprivation, I focused on the things I want an abundance of in my day, then I found my nutrients went way up and my calories by definition went down. Yeah, yes. You never told me, please go count them. But what I did, and this is where I went wrong when I was like, oh, calories don't matter at all. And I, I started, well, I call this experience death by almond butter. <laughs> I was like, I can eat whatever I want. I'm a metabolic dream. I, you know, I'm a triathlete. Here goes a jar of almond butter in two days. You know, have yes. you met have you met that person before in your clinical studies? Oh yeah, oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, well I'm that guy. All right, and so it turns out I have a threshold. If if I'm exceeding that threshold, then it's going to show up. My genes are going to fit a little bit differently. And so I take everything I learn and I do way too much of it till it hurts. And then I go, oh, this isn't serving me. And I go back and adjust. And and honestly, you, metabolic effect and the work that you put together helps me reset all the time because, damn it, I'm still a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. We shouldn't feel bad about that either because everyone, I do it, you do it, and everyone listening to this does it. Our human brain does this in its natural default state. So we do have to remind ourselves constantly. I will say a couple things. Um, and by the way, I think you know, Jonathan is a good friend of mine and also um, someone who I, I really appreciate his work. Um, I think everyone should check out his work. Jonathan and I, I think, would agree on pretty much everything that I'm saying here. It's, it's just that once you get into the marketing of these things, sometimes the media will pick up on the sensational stuff because once again, they know that we like sensationalism. And so they will see, oh, the calorie myth. And by the way, that book's named that so that people will pick it up. And so hopefully you'll get in and get the real message. But they do want to be like, guess what? Calories don't matter. You need to guard against that constantly. So that's the first thing. When you see that, say, oh, that's interesting. Let me try it on. Let me see if it's true for me. And let me also remember that the media is not necessarily giving us the whole truth. Think it is interesting, look at it, study it, see if it works for you. The other thing I'd say is when you're thinking about these changes that you're making and this discussion that Elle and I are having with you, think about it this way as well. Some people have different foods that they just respond wonderfully to. And other people have foods that they don't respond wonderfully to. I call these trigger and buffer foods. Trigger foods are foods that basically you know when you include these in your diet, right, that um, they make you crave more of the wrong foods more often. Or they're just slow fat loss down. Some of these foods include things like, I don't know, full fat Greek yogurt. For some people that is just a wonderful food that helps them burn fat, keeps them satisfied, keeps their heck in check, and it's great. But then one person sees, oh, my friend does Greek yogurt every morning and has told me I should do that. And I start doing it and gain weight. So it might be a buffer food for her, helps her, right? But it becomes a trigger food for you. Nuts, elegate the example of nuts, and this is a common one. Nuts for some people, some people can have a handful of almonds and be satisfied for hours. Other people can have a spoonful of peanut butter and be satisfied for hours. The salt, the creaminess, and they're just like, that's all I need. Some people can have a little square of dark chocolate and be satisfied and keeps heck in check. Other people start down that and they're doing 10 uh, handfuls of almonds and they're doing 10 
tablespoons of peanut butter and they're eating four chocolate bars and they're and even wine right one glass of wine at the end of the night that can control heck for some people and is a nice relaxing thing but if you're doing a bottle of wine every night that's probably not going to work for you and so what you want to be thinking about in addition to protein fiber and water in addition to finding your starch and fat tolerance you also want to be a detective around your trigger and buffer foods Many of us humans, by the way, um, and this isn't for everyone, but many of us have common trigger foods. One of the most common trigger foods are foods that combine fat and salt and sugar or starch. However, we all know the person we hate who can sit down and have a three bites of dessert and is just like, oh my God, that's the best dessert ever and it would taste so good and I'm done with it. I'm, I'm through with it. That kind of stuff is very important for you to understand. And by the way, um, I'll go into this discussion really quickly because I used to be one of those people who had to have and eat. If, if, a, if someone put a dessert down, it was like, don't order dessert because I'm going to eat that dessert. Plus, I'll go to the next table and start eating the dessert off their table. And then I'll go home and look for more dessert. But what I started doing is taking an approach, and I talk about this in the new book, is taking an approach that had me order dessert every single time I went out to eat. I forced myself to eat dessert. And I forced myself to only take three bites. Now, in the beginning, when I first started this, I was doing more than three bites. So I started doing it with just friends. If I had more than, if it was me and my wife and another couple, we always got dessert. And that way I could only have three bites. But then I started, whenever we, her and I went out, I started getting dessert and then leaving some behind, right? And now, even when I'm out by myself, when I'm traveling or whatever, and I go sit down at a plate, a nice place to eat, I will typically look and say, what dessert do I want? And I will eat three bites of that, and I will leave that sitting on the table. But one of the things that I've done is take a very different approach, an approach that is the opposite of avoidance, and an approach of basically saying, wait a second, I'm just going to have dessert. And there's a very nifty sort of psychological principle called the as-if principle in our minds and what our minds do most people think everyone knows the secret right that book the secret if you think positive thoughts positive things will happen to you there is a little bit of truth to that but what research shows us in psychology is that it's more true if you take an action your brain says oh I must be that kind of person then it does more of those kinds of things so when your brain watches you only have three bites of dessert order a dessert and only have three bites of a dessert pretty quickly it says oh I'm someone who only eats three bites of dessert. Isn't that kind of cool? And the as-if principle is a nifty little trick to deal with this trigger and buffer food issue if you can't get a handle on it, right? So that's just a couple different techniques here. So just to wrap up some of the things we've talked about, we talked about this idea that you are unique, right? You are unique. It's not about being a dieter. It is about being a detective. We also, though, talked about this idea that you need structure because our human brains need structure. So we'll give you some structure. The structure is start with a ton of PFW, protein, fiber, and water, and then find the Goldilocks zone of how much fat and how much starch you can eat. From there, understand your trigger and buffer foods. Then you start to create slowly a diet, a lifestyle that you can love and live with and own. And here's my philosophy that's a little bit different. The, the diet that you should end up at, the one that you should create for yourself, should give you as many of the foods you love as possible while at the same time maintaining your health and your fitness. So let's do this. Let me ask you, if I can, kind of a lightning round of Q&A. Let's do it. Okay, thanks. Willpower, friend or foe, resource or nightmare? Talk to me. Willpower is definitely something you can harness, but a better way to think about it is skill power. People think you either have willpower or you don't, right? And that is wrong. That's not the way willpower works. Willpower, we now know through psychological research that willpower is very much like a battery. It can be drained and it can also be charged, right? And so one of the things, by the way, in my new book, uh, the book that's coming out uh, in a few weeks, I have willpower workouts in this book, a couple suggestions. And one of them is this three bite rule with dessert, because what that does is that charges up every time you're successful doing that. What it does is it raises your willpower threshold. So think of your willpower as a battery. Some people have little tiny batteries with very little charge, right? What shrinks the willpower battery and Jane drains its charge. 
Anytime you try to change multiple things at once, that's everybody, right? That's what the diet industry does. They give you these big, long books that say, do this, do that, cut this, cut that. Make sure you exercise this way. Do all this. Take these supplements, right? And all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, my God, I'm so overwhelmed. But I, and I also have to go get the kids. And I also have to pay the bills. And I also have to do X, Y, Z. And I got this vacation coming up and blah, 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 right? What we want to be thinking about is we want to be thinking about every time we add on in our brain, we are shrinking our willpower battery. And so that's the first thing you need to understand. Second thing is skill power is about slowly learning this stuff over time. One of the number one ways to enhance and charge up your willpower battery is to make sure you get your hunger, energy, and cravings in check. Keep your heck in check. Because if you have to constantly be like, I'm hungry, I'm craving, I'm hungry, I'm craving, my energy is this, what am I going to eat? Any of you who are thinking constantly, right, you know those types who are like, wonder what I'm going to have for dinner. I wonder when the next time to eat is. I wonder if I can have some junk food, right? We're, that means that your willpower battery is probably suppressed a little bit and you're not keeping your heck in check. So everything we talked about enhances the willpower battery. And then doing things like I talked about with the as if principle, where you're slowly but surely adding in these habits, learning how to read your body and also challenging yourself with the opposite of all or nothing. Here's, here's an analogy I like to use, just so people can kind of get this. And it's not, a, it's not a, um, uh, a nice sort of visual to have, but it makes a really good point. Imagine a dog is attacking your arm, right? It's jumping and it's biting your forearm, and it's going crazy trying to get you. Most people in that moment are going to try to pull away from that dog. What's that do? Makes the dog attack harder, makes the dog you know, hurt you more. The approach to take is to probably push your forearm into the dog's mouth. At that point, the dog's going to let go, right? Or it's going to do less damage. Now, I'm a dog lover, so this isn't a nice visualization. However, it does illustrate a really good point that bottom line is when you're thinking about diet and exercise, what most people are telling you to do, don't eat this, eat this, all these rules and this and that, that's basically you trying to pull your, your forearm out of the dog's mouth. Instead, you want to go into it. Instead of avoiding you know, dessert, get your heck in check and then challenge yourself with dessert. Instead of never eating a hamburger, get your heck in check and practice eating a hamburger without then going and crushing Ben and Jerry's afterwards. These are all things that are going to, over time, there are going to be some work involved and some learning involved, but over time, they're the things that will grow your willpower battery very big and charge it up. So you're one of those people that we all hate the person who can sit down, do it in a way that actually, I love this. This is easy. I don't think about it the way you do. That's what we're all after. And that's what understanding that it's skill power, not willpower can do for you. Excellent. Let's carry some of that thinking into the next question, which is about cravings. When we get them, how do you manage a craving while you're in the middle of being a detective and trying to figure out your formula? Yeah. Well, the first thing to do is understand that sometimes you're not going to manage the craving. Sometimes you're going to give in to the craving, and then that's fine. The point is notice that you've had the craving and then go backwards and figure out why that might be the case. So cravings. First thing to understand about cravings, there's two types. There's biochemical cravings, right? And there's sort of behavioral uh, cravings, habitual cravings. The biochemical cravings are things like... Um, you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, man, I just really have a hankering for, you know, chocolate. I got to have some chocolate. It's the only thing that's going to satisfy me, right? And then there's uh, ha habitual cravings, like you're just eating out of boredom, right? You're sitting there or you're eating because the TV's on. Both of those have a little bit different um, approach. For biochemical cravings, keeping your heck in check, like we talked about, is typically going to take those biochemical cravings away, which is wonderful. But for the habitual cravings, you're going to have to do something else um, to help with that. And these things would be like the following. Typically, with habitual cravings, there's some kind of trigger, and then there's a routine, and you're doing all of this for a reward. So, for instance, you come home at 530, and now all of a sudden a routine ensues, right? You go and you pour yourself a glass, a glass of wine. You pull some cheese out from the cupboard with some crackers. You go sit on the couch and turn on your favorite show. Right. So the trigger was coming home from work. Right. And the routine is have some wine, have some crackers, have some cheese and watch some TV. And then the idea is what was the reward? 
The reward you are after is probably some form of relaxation or wind down, right? So now to break that habitual habit, you have to find something you like as much, right? So maybe what you love is you love spending time with your significant other. So maybe what you do is you create a different trigger. You say, hey, why don't you meet me at the park? It's spring. Let's go down and, and I'll drive to the park. We'll meet there and we'll walk right after work. That creates a different trigger and a different routine, but you get the same kind of relaxation and unwinding. The idea here is, is to understand and get aware of where these cravings are coming from. By the way, when you think cravings, think stress. When you think hunger, think not enough protein, fiber, and water in your diet. Okay, so stress, cravings, hunger, protein, fiber, and water. I'm basically now just kind of giving you a ton of tactics and tidbits as you listen to this so that you can basically use and play detective with. Jade, another question. This one's about fat and starch. So I, you were so helpful in sharing with us how to think about those and how to approach those. But like in one meal, do you choose which route you're going to go down? The way I do this, think about structured flexibility again. So the structure of your meal is going to stay the same. What I would suggest you do is you always think of it like double fiber and water, which means double low sugar fruits or vegetables, right? So that comes first. Next is protein. Make sure you got enough protein in that meal. And then that little sliver of starch and fat. So you might want to start with the following. Let's say you've decided that broccoli and cauliflower with a piece of salmon and um, half a sweet potato with butter, right? Is sort of what keeps you your heck in check. And you go along for a little while and you're like, you know what, I'm not getting results though. My heck's in check, but I'm not getting results. What approach should I take here? I would go decrease starch and fat first, see if that helps, see if your heck is still in check, you'll probably get results. If it's not, right, then you can increase it. The flexibility part is, and there's no way of getting around this, there is no amount I can tell you oh, you should have this amount of starch or this amount of fat, you're going to have to feel that out. If you picture that on a plate, half of your plate should be vegetables. Another quarter or more should be protein. And then there's this little sliding window of starch and fat that you want to tweak and adjust. Okay, fantastic. Now, completely random, but I know you travel a lot as I do, as do a number of folks who are listening to us. What are some of your quick t tips and tactics for traveling? Because this is something yep. that I'm working on regularly and I'm sharing tips with my listeners as I go. Right. Well, remember we talked about uh, metabolic balance is what you want to achieve. The last thing you want to be doing is thinking eat less, exercise more, because that throws off your metabolic balance. And so what you want to be thinking about is I either eat less and exercise less, or I eat more and exercise more. And what works for me with travel is the eat less, exercise less model. In other words, what I do is I'm like, you know what, I don't have time to, to work out. I don't, me personally, some people like to work out when they travel. Me personally, I don't really like that. And so what I do is I drastically decrease my um, consumption of food when I travel. And here's how I do it. I travel with a shaker bottle and some protein packets. You might do this differently, but basically what I do is one of those in the morning, one for lunch, power packed with protein and fiber so I'm satisfied. And then at the end of the day, I pretty much eat what I want. And that gives me a very low calorie diet, typically somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000 calories for me, which I'm 235. That's a really good realm for me. I know for me, once I start getting above 2,500, I start putting calories, I start putting on fat and weight. And remember, don't focus on the calories. Remember, I know this from after the fact, right? I just know from after the fact. Now, when I get home and I can move and I got my gym, that's when I up my, my intake, right? That's when I'm doing shake, snack, salad, snack, meal, right? So eat less, exercise less is one approach I can give you that really works well for travel. By the way, I try to walk whenever I can, and I like to have walking meetings whenever I can. But that's how you want to think about it. Okay, you just mentioned walking. Yeah. So I used to think, and people have heard me say this before, I used to, when people said, oh, you should go, go walking for exercise, you know, I'm like, oh, no, you know, if it's <laughs> run, bike, swim. <laughs> and yeah. now I realize the error of my ways. And I would like you to explain my ignorance and your wisdom, please. <laughs> well, here's the thing that research has, uh, has shown us, by the way. A lot of people don't know this. If you take someone who moves all day, walks around all day, but does no exercise, and you compare them to someone who sits on their butt all day in a cubicle and then goes and does a 30-minute workout, 
who do you think is going to be healthier and tend to have better um, success with weight loss? Well, the person moving all day tends to be healthier than the person who is do, just doing 30 minutes of exercise. That's sort of a mind shift for all of us, right? But that's how we were built, by the way. We are built for movement. But that's different than exercise. And so you really want to think of that you want to think of levels. Standing, moving, exercise. Different levels of intensity. And what you want to do is you want to use exercise sporadically, right? You want to use it every now and then, three, four times a week, even if you're going to do it every day. It's not for long. It's intense. It's for certain purposes. But what you want to be doing is moving as often as you can throughout the day, walking and standing. Movement is different than exercise in this new understanding that we have about this. The more you move, the better. And by the way, when I say walk, I'm not talking about power walking. In fact, power walking is exercise again. We're talking about low intensity, leisurely, slow walking. This is movement. It's stress reducing. It's one of the only forms of activity that lowers the stress hormone cortisol. That's why I say if you're having cravings at night, go for a nice leisurely walk before you eat dinner or after. And you may find that you're not actually craving the sweets anymore because you're lowering those stress hormones. So walking is absolutely critical. Start thinking about standing versus walking versus exercise. Here's what a, a great regime would be, by the way, if you're just starting out. You walk every day, okay, as much as possible. It doesn't have to be all at once, but try to get in 10,000 steps, five to 10,000 steps a day. That could be parking farther away. That could be taking the steps. That could be getting up from your cubicle every hour and taking a long roundabout way to the bathroom or water break, but just accumulate those steps. Then, in addition to that, do two, three workouts. 30 minutes, lift some weights, and then you walk, and then you do two to three workouts, then you walk, then you do two to three workouts. So that's how you want to be thinking about this. Think about movement as something you want to do as much as possible. Stop thinking about exercise as something you want to do as much as possible. Too much exercise, it's like Goldilocks again. Too little, not good. Too much, not good. Both stress you out. And so walking, leisurely walking, do as much as you can. Exercise, just enough to get the result. Fantastic. If I could only do one type of exercise for the rest of my life, what would you suggest that be? I would suggest you do something that prioritizes weight training. And the reason why is because the number one killer in our society, by the way, is frailty. The stronger you are, the more you're going to deal with illnesses, heart attacks, cancer, all that stuff. You need to stay strong. The other thing is the number one reason we start to look fat as we age is because we lose muscle and as we lose muscle, we lose metabolic potential. Weight training keeps our bodies tight. Weight training keeps us from being frail. Now, we also want some uh, health, other health benefits like cardiovascular. So lift weights fast. What do I mean by that? Not meaning that you hoist the weights quickly, but you decrease your rest between workouts. So like, let's say you got four exercises. I'll give you a quick workout you could do right at home, right? You do push-ups, do 12 of them, okay? You do squats do 12 of them. You do um, lunges, do 12 of them. And you do, uh, let's say, a bent over row with some dumbbells, do 12 of them. And you go 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, as fast as you can, not resting much between that circuit until you are forced to rest. Because at some point, your muscles are going to burn, you're going to get out of breath, you're going to feel like, oh my God, I got to take a, a, a breather, Jade. Once you have to, you rest as long as you need to until you're ready to go again. Then you start going again. You do that for 20 minutes. Set your timer. Take out your mobile device. Hit 20 minutes on a timer. Do that. 12 push-ups, 12 squats, 12 lunges, 12 bent over rows. Keep going. Rest when you need to. Stop. Get back into it when you're ready. 20 minutes, done. Do that two to three times per week. That's the type of exercise that really is probably the best of all worlds and maximizes your results for the effort. So Jade actually has a program called Metabolic Aftershock, which is a series of DVDs. And I imagine you can probably download them too. Am I right about yep, that? You can, yep, you can download them. You know, uh, one of the things nowadays we know, DVDs, right? It's funny how tech changes so so much. But you can stream it off the internet or, uh, or get a DVD if you still have a DVD player. <laughs> yeah, or get one of these <laughs> archaic ancient artifacts called a DVD. Um, yeah. But the, what's, what's amazing about those is those are all really short too. I think some of them are around 15 minutes, Jade. Am I saying this right? 
They are 15 minutes. They're all 15 minutes. Research now tells us that exercise does not have to be long, right? It needs to be uh, intense and suited to your level, but it does not have to be long. So this idea that we got to go out, you know, the old model was, oh, I just eat like a bird and go for a jog, and that's going to get me in shape. Uh, That's not actually the way it works. That can work for some people, but it's not nearly the efficient way to do it. These are just resources I want our listeners to know about. So a couple of things that we're going to do at onairwithella.com. I'm going to link to Jade's book, The Metabolic Effect Diet. I will also have the link to your new book, Lose Weight Here, Jade. So that link will be on the site, as will links to Metabolic Aftershock and a few other of the resources. Dr. Jade, I cannot thank you enough for sharing all of this richness with us today. Ella, thank you for your work. Um, I don't think it's said enough from people doing your work, but you are the people who are bringing it to the masses. And so I really am um, very thankful that you had me on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jade. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com, where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply 